This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. As art quilters, we're inspired by so many genres of art. Often I look at the work from 20th century painters and glean what I can from their innovative composition. But consider this. Those artists were also inspired by others. And today's artist in residence, author, journalist, and quilt historian Teresa Durier Wong, will give us insight into how abstract expressionists, painters such as Jackson Pollock and Mark Rothko, were most definitely influenced by quilt art from the previous century. Stay tuned for an eye-opening discussion. Welcome to the Quilting Arts Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of contemporary art quilting. I'm Susan Brubaker-Knapp, and I'm here with my co-host, Vivica Hansen-Denegre. Hey, Vivica. Hi, Susan. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Spring is starting to come. The skies are sunny, so hooray. I always know it's spring when I can hear the frogs outside. And our wood frogs started croaking last night, so it really made me happy. But um, we're taping in the beginning, second week, basically, of March. And tomorrow, we're going to get two to three inches of snow in Connecticut. So those poor Uh, little frogs are going to be chilly. Yeah, they manage somehow, though. Yeah. Well, it's (laughs) been a few weeks since we've talked, and so much has happened in our world. It has, both in the quilt world and in the geopolitical world. Been crazy. Yes. So yes, tell me about sure first about QuiltCon, because I followed all your photos and all my friends on social media posting amazing photos. Tell me about it. Well, as you probably know, this is the first time that QuiltCon has been in Phoenix, but it was also uh, the first time in two years that we were able to gather at a quilt show. So what an amazing experience. I had not only a wonderful time, like I always do at QuiltCon, but I just felt so connected to these people that I haven't seen in person that I've seen actually quite a bit, some of them on my screen, but also to the art that they've been making during the pandemic and during Mm -hmm. these months of isolation and the beauty that has come out of this just, I hate the word, but the unprecedented time that we've just come through. It was incredible. So I, I was there, um, I was there for the award ceremony, which was quite moving. There were quite a few people in the room, um, for the award ceremony. And it was just so great to see people dancing to the music beforehand and just almost giving people hugs. Some of them giving people hugs, uh, beforehand. Mm-hmm. It was just so wonderful. And then I stayed through Friday evening and left on Saturday morning. So I missed some of the more, um, poignant things that I knew were going to be happening at the Saturday session as well. I missed the the major um, talk by Latifah Safir. I missed, you know, a couple of lectures that I really wanted to go to, but I did feel like I had a lot of time with the quilts and a lot of time with the lectures um, on Thursday and Friday. So good for that. Yes. Well, it looked really fabulous and meaningful. Yes. And I can't tell you how wonderful the winning quilts were too. I mean, I, I just don't know how a judge does it because there were so many 
wonderful, wonderful quilts at QuiltCon. The the level of artistry is amazing. The thought and um, compassion behind so many of these quilts was just palpable. And um, I can tell you that that winning quilt by Hillary Goodwin, which was called 2020 Vision, it was it was deeply moving to see it and to um, to hear Hillary talk about it and learn a little bit about it as well. So I'm not doing any spoilers here. Uh, Hillary is a tremendous um, art quilter as well as modern quilter, and she's a very, very compassionate human being. And I saw on social media not a week after QuiltCon that she had donated her entire winnings to, I believe it was Save the Children. So a $5,000 check from that um, amazing quilt went to help people in Ukraine. I saw that because, too. An amazing oh, thing. Yeah. It's it, so wonderful of her to do that. Yes. Yes. So, so kind and uh, generous. And I think that this is one thing um, since QuiltCon has ended, it seems like you know we're all on this high after QuiltCon. And then the invasion of Ukraine just took the breath away um, from so many of us, not just, not just, you know, quilters, but obviously everybody. But I can't, I can't stress enough how impressed that I am with the quilting community and the art community and the knitting community and, you know, you name it, communities that have found ways to make a difference through their, you know, particular passions. Right. Um, like what for, uh, Pat Sloan and Orophil are doing with... Oh, my goodness. I can't believe how much money they've raised. It's so exceptional. It's stunning. And for anyone who has not had the opportunity to see the um, the great work that Pat Sloan started, um, I believe it was about March 1st or something, she, she started something similar to GoFundMe through UNICEF Australia. And she, I believe, was trying to raise like $5,000 um, by quilters or, you know, fr- from the quilting community, I should say. Um, she posted a beautiful block that she designed and said, feel free to download this free block, but also please donate. She put a donation page up or Phil picked it up. My company picked it up. Um, and through this incredible promotion that has been happening because so many have shared it, this morning I checked there was more than $149,000 donated so far just through this one effort. But we're not surprised. (laughs) We're not surprised because the quilting community is so generous and everyone wants to do something and there's nothing we can do physically really, unless you're prepared to, you know, get on a plane and volunteer with the world, the, what is it? The world central kitchen or something like that. (laughs) Um, You know, but you can give money if you have it. And every single person can make a difference in their own way. Mm-hmm. And you can change the world. One person can change the world, can make the world a better place. So these are just examples of two people making the world a better place. But I'm trying to pull together other resources and just sort of updating a blog that we have on the Golden Peak Media website, I should say, the quiltingdaily.com website. So if you hear of anything, feel free to reach out. And email me and I will update our blog so people can know any other way that um, the quilting community is trying to make a difference in the world and and send some comfort to the people of Ukraine. I think it's very, very important that we keep keep that, you know, utmost in our minds. 
Yeah. And this is going to go on for a while, I'm sure, unfortunately. So the need is not going to decrease, at least in the near future. Right, right. So I've been thinking about yellow and blue. I know a lot of people have been thinking about yellow and blue, made a little block. And I'm just hoping that, um, you know, we can all just make a difference. Yes. Yep. And sunflowers, lots of sunflowers. Lots of sunflowers. And I have to say, um, you know, my son is getting married this summer and my future daughter-in-law is saying, maybe we should have sunflowers at the wedding. (laughs) So there have been so many references to sunflowers in my house in the last week or two. (laughs) And my husband is a Jayhawk. So sunflowers in Kansas and is a thing too. So we have a lot of sunflowers here already. University of Kansas. Is that it? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So that's the other thing right now. March Madness, my friend. Anyone who's into basketball. Yes. Lots of fun. We had a crazy weekend here because UNC beat Duke and I'm in Chapel Hill. So total madness. Um, Yeah. It's been crazy and it's going to get crazier. And my alma mater, Providence College, won the Big East. So uh, we're very, very excited because the first, t- uh, the last time that happened, actually, I don't think they've ever won the Big East before. So um, for someone who doesn't really follow sports, I actually just follow one team one time a year. Well, you know what? Right now, it is a good distraction because otherwise, if you just keep watching the news, it, it is so disturbing. I, I know I've been making a quilt with probably thousands of little teeny tiny pieces of scrap fabric just to keep my hands busy sewing those seams uh, while I'm watching the news media um, and everything that's happening. So it's, it's always a good way to relieve stress and keep your heart and your head and your hands busy. Yes, that is absolutely true. And uh, before we started this session, um, I was having a little trouble with my audio output, as Susan and our guest know. But I'm sure as I was running back and forth looking for different headphones, you may have noticed in my um, quilt studio where I did my recording, there are quite a few quilts started behind me. So lots and lots of fabric. Um, I find that when your hands are busy, your heart um, calms down and your Mm -hmm. mind calms down. And so I I definitely use my creative time to, to in some ways, meditate by stitching. So, yes. So the last time that we talked to Susan, I think you were just about ready to have a solo show. Yes. And I hung it last Tuesday, I think. And I'm really excited. It's, it's really fun to see, um, you know, a body of work hung together because I don't have space to really display things in my house. I've been working for the past year on a a series of botanical whole cloth painted and free motion quilted pieces, uh, 15 of them. And I got to see them all together in the same room, which was such a thrill. They look really good. The, The hanging system worked great with what I had set up. So it went up in less than three hours and, um, getting good feedback so far. That's incredible. So a unified theme, a unified expression um, of how you actually created the quilts. It must be absolutely beautiful. Do you have a photo that you're going to share so I can put in the show notes? I do. I'd be happy to do that. And I'm going to be doing demonstrations. I decided in lieu of an opening reception because of COVID and, you know, can we even eat inside (laughs) if we have to wear masks, all those kinds of things. Um, I decided I was going to do about three and a half hours of demonstration time. So I'll get to engage with 
visitors to the garden, both adults and kids. And I'm going to show them what I did. And I hope, encourage them to go in and look at the quilt. So I'll probably be outside and then hoping people will go inside and look at the exhibition. Will you be painting? I'm going to be painting and I'm going to be stitching. I'm going to bring my machine. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. That is It'll be fun. And that's, oh. you know, that's what I love to do because I teach. So I like talking to people and showing them what I do and answering questions more than I like dressing up in nice clothes and, you know, drinking champagne. So there, it's all good, Susan. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I just wish I could go and see it in person. Yeah. Well, I took some video too, so I'll, I'll share that. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, it's great chatting, but it's time to introduce our guest. I'm looking forward to it. Teresa Durye Wong is an author, lecturer, and historian. She's written five nonfiction books on quilts and textiles and is a contributing writer for several publications, including QuiltCon magazine. Teresa is a member of the International Advisory Board of the International Quilt Museum and in 2021 was named the Scholar-in-Residence for Visions Art Museum in San Diego. We are so pleased to have Teresa join us today to talk about art, inspiration, and quilts. Welcome to the podcast, Teresa. Thank you, Vivica and Susan. It's great to be with you both. We're just so happy that you could be here to talk about some very interesting topics um, that I know that our listeners are going to be thrilled to hear about. But first of all, I was wondering if you could tell us how you got interested in quilts, because in doing a little bit of research, I know that you didn't start out necessarily in the quilt world in your professional life. No, I kind of came about it at a, a roundabout way. Uh, my grandmother made quilts, but she did not teach me. Um, I did learn to sew um, very, very young, probably first grade. I was sewing and doing embroidery, um, and I made a lot of clothes growing up, but I, I did not grow up with quilts. I didn't really have any appreciation for them. It wasn't until um, my daughter was in elementary school and I met a mother of her friend um, who became my best friend for the past 25 years. And she is an amazing art quilter. And when I went into her home, I found out that quilts were art and um, I was hooked. So she taught me uh, and helped me hand quilt my first quilt. um, And that was in the very late 90s. And I've been at it ever since. You know, sort of funny, I think um, up to about that last part, I could have been saying the same exact thing as you are. (laughs) And I know that Susan started a little bit earlier and Susan's mother did quilt, but my mother didn't quilt either. And it's, it's really interesting how we can be brought into an art form from people outside of our families, people yeah. within our families, and just become so hooked and, and in some ways uh, focused on it that it can actually affect our careers. Totally. I had a um, started in my career as a journalism, and then I had a, several different jobs, and I spent about 25 years in corporate, uh, actually in the oil and gas industry because I live in Houston. So when one lives in Houston, if you want to work, <laughs> you're going to end up there. And then uh, finally in 2013, I left the corporate world and decided to really try to follow my passion um, in quilting. And that really took off. That really took off. Yeah, you have, it's been a fun you have road. Some, you have some really wonderful books. I've got one of them sitting in front of me right here, Stitching Stolen Lives, that you co-wrote with Sarah Trail. 
Yes. And um, I have to say, that is an incredible book. Thank you. Um, it is, that, it's yeah. not only a beautiful book, it's a moving book because why don't you tell us why? Yeah, so this is um, a project that Sarah and I started working on um, shortly after the pandemic started. And we just put our heart and soul into it almost 100% because so many other projects, you know, were on hold. And it's really the story of uh, all of the work of the Social Justice Sewing Academy, but mostly the Social Justice Sewing Academy Remembrance Project, which honors people who have been murdered uh, due to social injustice. So either murdered by police or murdered by gang violence or domestic violence or hate crimes um, or racial crimes. And um, also people, you know, like the missing murdered indigenous women, um, those groups as well. And so we have um, a couple of thousand volunteers across uh, really mostly the world, mostly the U.S. and Canada, who make a art portrait block honoring one of these victims. Um, and we have made them into banners. And just in the past year, we've already been in about 30 museums um, and showing them all over the place. And um, unfortunately, there's no shortage of names. So we expect this project to go on and on. Um, and we've made hundreds of banners so far, and they are really, really moving. So at QuiltCon, there were... Um there were banners on display at QuiltCon. If right. you want to see some up close, there are a few in um, quilting, excuse me, in QuiltCon magazine as well. Yes. But yes. Uh, the Social Justice Sewing Academy was very well represented at QuiltCon. And one of the lectures that I was so disappointed to have missed was the lecture with you and Sarah Trail. Yes, that was early Saturday morning. And Sarah and I talked about really what's so interesting about this project is that we're trying to first of all, make sure that these people are not forgotten. But we also want to make people realize that these people are not a single story. They are not the story of what happened to them on the day that they were killed. They had a life. They had people who loved them. They had families. And even if they had committed a crime or done something um, untoward on their last day, it's still not their single story. So we talked a lot about that, the danger of a single story. And we also had the grandmother of one of the victims talk and um, she is a very powerful advocate for social justice. And her name is Addie Kitchen. And uh, she is the mother, grandmother of Stephen Taylor, who was killed inside a Walmart in California after uh, 40 seconds after the cops uh, walked in. And she was, uh, she's a very, very powerful speaker, but a, just an amazing woman. And she spoke at the lecture as well. So in your book, uh, one of the first quotes in the Stephen Taylor a portion is there's a powerful healing force in the process of sewing a quilt. And I'm sure that healing force is also extended to the family when they receive a quilt. And what I loved about, uh, and I'm leafing through the book as I'm, as I'm talking to you here is there's a picture of Latifa Safir, who was the uh, quilter who was paired with this family and um, Stephen Taylor's grandmother, which was so, so moving, but also at, QuiltCon, um, Latifa was the featured speaker, so sh her quilt was also there, the one that was made from his jeans, which yep. was just, I just saw people in front of that quilt, tears in their eyes. Yes. It was amazing because it's it's a picture, or it depicts a raised fist, and the knuckles on the fist were the knees of Stephen's 
jeans and they're ripped and torn just like he was. Yeah. Um, but, but what a, a powerful, powerful project that was. Yes. Latifah ended up making uh, four quilts for the family. So the quilts we make for the families is one of the second programs of Social Justice Sewing Academy. And we, we often make them with the victim's clothing if they are willing to donate it. Um, if not, we use a lot of photos. So Latifah was given so much clothes that she couldn't just stop. So she made uh, four quilts and she saved those jeans for that really amazing, powerful fist. And um, she's donating it all to the family. That's wonderful. So his two boys got two quilts and Addie got one and, and this powerful fist as well is going to the family. Well, you've, you've written a lot of books about a lot of different kinds of quilts. And I'll bet that this book made you really think about the connection between, I mean, between quilts and social issues in a different way. And I think that we've, uh, throughout time, have always sewn for these reasons, whether it was for an exhibition or just for our own personal, um, just like you were saying, uh, Vivica, about, you know, with everything that's going on to keep your hands busy. Um, I think that this is, you know, whether we were making quilts for political reasons or women's suffrage or whatever it is throughout time, I think we've always turned to quilting as a or sewing as a kind of activism, maybe individually or together. And so this is just a continuation of that. Um, and I think a very, very powerful one. Subversive stitches. Yes. And it's really um, amazing because in this project for the Social Justice Sewing Academy, we're, it's, it's kind of a two-folded project. We're raising awareness, but we're also building empathy with these volunteers. So everyone who volunteers takes time with this person's story. It's, it can be a very, very therapeutic process for the volunteer as well. And each one of the volunteers shares that, their thoughts and their empathy with the people around them, with their children or their spouse or their friends. So it spreads, it has ripples. Exactly. Yes. And we try to include those stories when we do the exhibits too, because that is part of it. You know, the, the maker has a, a story as well as the story of the victim. It's amazing how, how quilts can just sort of transcend what they were originally meant for. They don't just keep us warm, but they can also um, inform how we look at the world. Yes. And our, we, we really took a lot of inspiration from the AIDS quilts when we started this project. And um, as you know, it's not the AIDS quilt is not one quilt. It's tens of thousands of quilts. But the difference is now with this one is that the artistry in these uh, portraits and blocks and banners that we've made are, are incredible. So we have, you know, very, very talented volunteers, you know, lending their time and talent putting into the artwork in these particular quilts. It's amazing. Exactly. And the artistry at the show was just incredible, wasn't it? Yes. It was just fabulous. So, Teresa, I'm wondering what you felt when you walked through the halls at QuiltCon and saw the many, many art quilts that are absolutely quilts that are, in my mind, inspired by modern art or mid-century art. Yes, it's so wonderful to think about this idea of influence and 
how influence travels from one generation to another, from one geography to another, uh, from one art form to another. So whether we're inspired by uh, mid-century painters or the painters, were they inspired by 19th century quilts? You know, this influence is like a circle of life and just keeps going around and around. Um, but I do love seeing the artistry, particularly at QuiltCon, and I've been to almost all of them. And it's um, it's really wonderful to see the progression in the quilting and um, how it's just become, I think, more and more artistic and more and more beautiful and, and original. I think I see so much originality now. You know, when the modern quilt movement really started taking off, a lot of art quilters I know immediately notice similarities between modern quilts and art quilts. And I think many so-called modern quilts really fit beautifully into the art quilt camp. And it's happening, it's it's even more obvious now. So what do you think of this categorization of different types of quilts? And why do we do it? Is it meaningful? What purpose does it really serve to have these distinctions when it seems like there's so much fluidity? You know, whether it's traditional contemporary, modern art. Yeah, I um, these labels are tough and I don't, I'm not a fan. Um, and I think, you know, when the Modern Quilt Guild first began, very, very, very early days, they were very adamant that they were different from art quilts. They really wanted everything to be utilitarian. They wanted their quilts to be washed. Um, you know, they were trying to set themselves apart. Uh, very graphic quilts, a lot of negative space, only using solids. Um, and that has very quickly evolved. And I think good. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh -huh. that's awesome. And I know a lot of the modern quilters are also members of uh, Sakwa Studio Art Quilt Associates and kind of vice versa. So I do see there's a big blending now. And I think that there should be. And I think that even the Modern Quilt Guild is embracing more traditional quilts with the new um, sort of input of the modern traditionalism categories. So before, if your quilt was too traditional, you know, it didn't really fit in there. But now they're all trying to bring that in. You see all these competitions now that are sort of seeking the modern quilts because it's brought in so many new people. This episode is brought to you by Saks.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. We all love these modern quilts. My goodness, the artistry was amazing. I think one, um, I personally have two favorite categories. Actually, they're all my favorite. It's sort of like your kids, that kind of thing. But I love the modern traditional category because frequently that's a repeating block that doesn't look repeating quite frequently, but it's, it's very, very interesting to see different colorways, different uses of shadow, different uses of tone, etc. And then I also really love the improv. And the improvisational quilts were fantastic this year too, but I saw, I saw beautiful portraits this year. I saw massively huge quilts and teeny tiny little quilts. I mean, it was, it was really, really a great show, but um, 
I, I just thought it was fantastic. And then the other thing that just broke my heart in joy was meeting um, one of the winners of the Youth Quilts. It was, I think it was the second place winner. And she was just such a charming young lady. She was about 13 years old or maybe 14. Just amazing, standing in front of her quilt, giving me all the tips and tricks to make the triangles line up. And she had the most perfectly pieced triangles. So, but, you know, it was just an amazing experience to see all of these. And the the Modern Quilt Guild has always had that youth category. And I think they're one of the few. Um, I do see that um, in Japan when I travel, they definitely have a youth category, but I don't see it as much in other um, events or competitions in the United States so much. And we have to do it. This is our future is to, you know, reward and encourage young people to sew. Well, I think the future's bright after seeing all of those quilts. At, at Absolutely. Quilts. Yeah. But, you know, something you said actually um, resonated with me and it was that talking about that fluidity of back and forth, being influenced by something or realizing that your work or the work of um, quilters before you has actually influenced people who work in other genres. And that really was the focus of your talk at, at QuiltCon that I was just so fortunate to, um, to actually be in the audience for. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, so the title of that lecture is uh, Hello Modern Art, Meet Antique Quilts. When I put together a new lecture, I really try to think about something that interests me, but also that I think would interest other people. And how is it a different way that we can look at quilts in the broader text of uh, art history? And so I, I think in particular, there's a lot of emphasis. People are fascinated by the abstract expressionist or the New York School of Art, which is a group of American artists um, from like 1945 after 1950 to about 1960. Um, It's the very short period of time. And these artists were making very graphic art, very similar to some of the same rules that you saw in the modern quilts in the very beginning. There was a lot of uh, bold colors and graphicness and a lot of uh, negative space and things. And I just think that it's so interesting to think about where their influence came. And this was really the beginning of um, our love of American art. Um, It had really just started between the two world wars. We started not looking to Europe and looking to America for art inspiration. So when this group came along, it was kind of the, you know, the whole beginning of modern art. But the modern art movement did not fall out of the sky, as Jackson Pollock uh, so wisely said. So where was their influence? And... You know, if you talk to academics in New York or um, people inside the fine art world, they're never going to tell you that they were influenced by quilts. But I think we have to beg to differ because so many quilts that we've seen from the 19th century had those same qualities, very graphic, very bold uses of color, you know, repetitive patterns that just pull your eye across. And there is no doubt in my mind that those quilts were influential Um, to that group of artists who would have been, you know, growing up under um, the work of their mothers or grandmothers. Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, it's quite possible that Mark Rothko had a log cabin quilt um, on his bed. Yes. (laughs) After watching your, (laughs) after watching your lecture, (laughs) I thought maybe Joseph Albers did too. And, and the funny thing about Albers too, with his wife being Annie Albers, the weaver, I thought, wow, I wonder how much of her influence was pushed over to him by what she was doing in her weaving studio, too. 
Absolutely. I mean, influence is so fascinating because there is no beginning and no end, right? It just, you know, these ideas come into our mind and it's sort of, I like to sort of think it's like, you know, when you hear music and it gets stuck in your head, it's an earworm. It's kind of the same idea with visuals. You know, they just get stuck in your head and keep playing over and over and over. And if you're a maker, eventually, if that keeps playing, you're going to go and make that idea and how it formed and where it came from. There's definitely a long line of influence. And very often you have no idea that you've been influenced. You don't even realize that you've heard that tune before. You've seen that visual before. Absolutely. It it sinks in so deep and it's so subconscious that when you produce something, you think it's totally original. It's just completely from you until you are like, oh my gosh, that I picked that up from so-and-so. Yes, yes. And I know a lot of artists and, and quilt artists get compared, you know, like um, to the, you know, modern artists before them. And maybe some some people are kind of offended by that. But I don't think it's an I think it's an honor, you know, to be uh, compared to somebody because that person was also influenced by somebody before them. Originality is very hard. <laughs> and, you know, I thought at times it would be a really good exercise as an art quilter to pick pieces from different periods in art history and try to create a piece, not to imitate or reproduce a certain piece, but to create a piece that has the same feel or technique almost look of something from that era and maybe do 20 pieces that are all based on a certain type of art. I love that idea. I think you should launch that, Susan, and we can all join in. (laughs) Wouldn't it be a great exhibition? It would be. It would be awesome. ask artists to produce a piece that is impressionistic or, and and match it and have a photo of the piece of art that maybe inspired them. That I think would be really fun if it hasn't been done already. Maybe it has. I think it has been done, but one of the fun things would be to, to see if people could go beyond the painting and go Mm. beyond trying to replicate the painting or replicate the style. And truly it's almost like absorb it and, and somehow find a different way to express the feeling of Mm -hmm. the painting. Yeah. Almost like you've gone back in time to that era and you're an artist working in that area. How would your style be different? It's uh, the International Quilt Museum um, just recently had an exhibition on the modern meets modern. And it was all about that same idea, um, you know, not not for paintings, but for modern quilts made by the mostly modern quilt guild members that either referenced or were indirectly or directly inspired by quilts from 100 years earlier. Um, and then they did a challenge, too, that was open to all quilters um, to make a mini quilt uh, inspired by an antique um, modern masterpiece. So that was very interesting. And, you know, I think I knew about that. And here again, that's something that's gone into my brain and it's influenced what I'm thinking about. And then I'm producing, I'm, I'm exploring it as my own original idea <laughs> when I've been influenced by something I've seen already. Well, so it's my, wonderful. My apologies. <laughs> the whole exhibition, though, is, you know, they're so good about putting everything online so you can go back and relive it. So Susan, you know, Susan and I love quotes, by the way, just in case you didn't know this, Teresa. Uh, who said that there's nothing new under the sun? I don't know who said that, but I always loved that because, yeah, I don't know. you know, there really, there really is, you know, 
in music, there are eight notes, basically. That's mm-hmm. it. I mean, there are half notes in there mm-hmm. and half tones and all of that stuff. But, you know, we're all dealing with the same sounds, the same colors, etc. But it's, yeah. it's interesting how we all can come up with something different, whether it's no matter what kind of artistry you do. No and the music of. example is a is a wonderful example. Think how many variations there are from that one octave. Uh, yeah, it's really incredible in art. There's no end to it. And that's what I loved also about researching Japanese quilts was how that influence traveled from a very young country of America into Japan. Um, how does that happen? That's backwards, right? Because normally young countries are, you know, sort of taking influence from our older uh, more established countries. So yeah, how does influence travel across countries and cultures? So Teresa, you had a few quilts at QuiltCon. I did. Yeah, I was so Tell excited. about them. Yes. I had entered many, many times before and never gotten in. So that's the um, be persistent <laughs> plug <laughs> to keep trying. But I, and it's interesting because I think my quilts were either too much art quilt or too traditional in the past. So that's what I was my, and I'm, I'm, I think that's a fair assessment. I'm not just making that up, but, um, this time I had two quilts that were pieced, um, in the pieced category, but very improvisational nature. And there are two in a, in a series of three that I've done. And so they both had about 3,000 tiny pieces of fabric, um, that were then cut straight in sort of a courthouse steps kind of large, motif and um, each little tiny piece had its own free motion quilting design. <laughs> so how tiny are oh, the pieces? Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, very tiny. Uh, uh, two and a half inches wide by some were like, you know, a millimeter or two and some were maybe an inch wide, um, but very, mm-hmm. very tiny. Uh-huh. A lot of fun. Just sit at your sewing machine and just string piece and string piece and string piece for a couple of weeks and then cut and piece and string. <laughs> oh. That sounds actually like the perfect repetitive action it is. for us it's right very now repetitive. to get into yeah. the zen of it. And weren't they yellow and blue? Yes. One was all yellow, gold, and the other was all blue. And, also uh, appropriate for right now. I know. And I had a third quilt um, that is a Say Their Names quilt that I made in early uh, in May of 2020. Yeah, that one was very powerful. Completely different quilt. Yes. Yes. So let me ask you, like thinking back to your lecture mm-hmm. and thinking forward to these quilts, and I hope you don't mind if I put images of them on our show oh, notes sure. so people yeah. can see what I'm talking about. Where does your inspiration come from? Everywhere, <laughs> I think. I'm definitely inspired by antique quilts and um, the sort of the idea of those improvisationally pieced quilts is actually uh, from an African-American quilt that I saw that was in the collection of Corinne Riley. And um, I'd be glad to share that image with you. Hers was much, much bigger and a more uh, completely different palette, but I loved the style of it. And for me, it was this idea of improv inside of very sharp, clean lines that really attracted me. Um, And so that's where I uh, sort of landed on that. I will say also that the blue one that I made has little tiny bits of red spread throughout it too. And that quilt is 100% Marsha Durst fabrics. And Mm. I was very inspired by the fabrics. And in fact, I wrote an article on Marsha Durst for QuiltCon before the uh, for the Austin issue, right? Uh, Austin event. Um, so, because I'm just uh, a really big fan of hers. Me too. Yeah. Yep. 
Me three. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, So I sort of wondered, actually, when I looked at them, I I saw some similarities, actually, to the Hillary Goodwin quilts where she had made whole tops and cut them up. I wondered Mm -hmm. if you had any interaction with her. I follow, I have followed her for a long time on uh, social media and we often message, message each other. And, um, because she's also very interested in, you know, history and she's just an, like you said, she's just an amazing person. Um, an ER doctor who, you know, made it through this horrible period of COVID and, um, she has an incredible energy and she makes her own clothes and I'm often inspired by her clothes. And I also sew my own clothes. <laughs> so I, I actually saw what you were wearing and our, yeah. our listeners can't see you. You're wearing a Marimekko print, yes, yes, um, I am. which is like, my love is Marimekko. I'm surprised I'm not, I don't have my Marimekko mug here. Yeah. Um, but but Hillary did a whole month, I think. Um, and I made a dress that was inspired by her, one of her patterns, and I bought Mary Meco fabric. And I was in New York in September, the first, just a few months back, first time we went out after COVID, my husband and I went to New York. And I wore that dress to the Museum of Modern Art. And there was hardly any people in New York. The sidewalks were like a third of the normal crowds. There was not that many people at the MoMA. I counted nine people stopped me to ask me about my Mary Mecco dress. So it was really fun. In New York, people from all over the world know Mary Mecco. It was really fun. Yes. Yeah, that's really cool. Really cool. So, Susan, I sort of wonder, you know, with this conversation, what you think about if there's a line between high craft, which I would call a lot of what we saw at QuiltCon, and art. And I want to ask the same question to Teresa. Do you think that there's a line? Um, I guess I would make a dif- I would I would make a distinction between is there a line and should there be a line? I think there definitely is a line in the world. Um, I think there are a lot of fine artists and people in the fine art world who who draw that distinction. Um, I guess I would say I think the line exists at the point where the quality is really exceptional versus average and that almost any kind of what we call craft can rise to the level of fine art if the quality of the workmanship or workwomanship is strong enough. That's where I draw the line. But there are so many different people who would put the line in a different place. What do you think, Teresa? So true. Um, you may be sorry you asked me that because I'm sure I could talk for an hour. Um, <laughs> I don't think there is a distinction. I mean, you see these quilts uh, that are being made today and they are absolutely fine art. The idea of craft and folk art is a term that was coined by, you know, elite intellectuals in positions of power. And they loved the idea of sort of siphoning off women's work as craft or uh, folk art. And the the terms that they use to describe these arts are self-taught, you know, isolated, uninformed. And these are all code words for, you know, ethnic groups, impoverished groups, women, people of color. 
And I think that we're starting to throw those terms out, which is wonderful. So I don't think it's a fair distinction. And I would put any of these quilts into the Met or the MoMA or the Guggenheim or the Menil collection in Houston, where I live. I mean, I would think that they all belong in but there. But when you say those quilts, you're talking about the ones that got into QuiltCon, right? Yes, so, absolutely. But there's, but there's a lot of quilts who didn't get into QuiltCon because the craftsmanship or the overall quality was not great. Yeah, not every yeah. quilt is um, as beautiful as the other. But no, I'm talking about the ones that are exhibition quality, right? Whether right. they're whether they're in Sakwa or Paducah, or Quilt National, or um, in the Visions uh, Biennial. Um, some of these are, you know, incredible works of art. And, you know, not every quilt is meant to be that. I mean, I make a lot of quilts for my couch. And, you know, that's fantastic, too. I love them. They're not meant to hang in the Guggenheim. <laughs> but, you know, the ones that are, are definitely uh, fine art. So, um, one other question here, then. So at the end of the talk, uh, uh, this fabulous talk that I will be thinking about for months, by the way, it was so good. At the end of that talk, I wondered, what do you think that the, the men, it's because it's mostly the abstract expressionists were mostly men. How do you think they would feel to hear their artwork, that it was inspired in part by quilts? Yeah. What do you think? What do you think? Uh, Mark Rothko would think, or Joseph Albers, or Solowit, or Jackson Pollock, etc. I mean, they're all different, so probably would get a variety of answers, but I doubt that they would agree. Um, I do think from everything that I've read, and of course, you know, they were within their time, so it was a very different time in 1950 and 1960 in terms of who was in and who was out, kind of. And what voices were we listening to and who was allowed to have a voice? But I don't think that they would probably not agree that at the time, they certainly thought that they were completely original. They And, and in many, many ways, they absolutely were because they were throwing out all of the forms and figurative art that had you know, preceded us for hundreds and hundreds of years. So I think that they would probably disagree. Don't you think part of it depends on the level of arrogance? <laughs> and I would say that, I mean, I think most artists, and I include myself in this group, have a certain amount of arrogance. You have to, to have the confidence to create, Yes, you know? Um, so maybe some of it depends on the level of arrogance of the individual artist as to whether they would acknowledge it or not. Yeah. I mean, there are people like Sol LeWitt, who is a very kind and gentle person, um, who did a lot to promote women's work, he would probably be more open to the idea. But some of the men, if you were to tell them they were influenced by something that their grandmother had made, probably at that time, I don't think it would have set well. If they lived in today's world, maybe uh, they would think differently because we do have um, a lot more enlightenment and openness and a more variety of voices. And we certainly have a lot of people in our community who are inspired by them. And you know, I, I think the words that you said that resonated with me this time was these people were of their time. And we also mm -hmm. have to give a little bit of compassion for that. Yes. That it, it was a different time. There were yeah. different things going on in the world and they had different life experiences than we have today. Absolutely. But, um, and yeah. they were forging new ground, no doubt. And they were doing it at a time when 
America was starting to come of age, you know, the war was over and people were more interested in, you know, domestic pride and Americana. And here we have this group of artists who are thinking in whole new ways about what is art and how is it made and what shape is it. And, um, you know, they were very, very instrumental in leading us. Um, in the American and interestingly, art. Yeah, interestingly, American uh, quilts are a mainly American art form. Um, at least they started that way. I'm not saying it's not Absolutely. an international art form. But just as um, that group of artists um, sprung out of an American soil, basically. Absolutely. This is a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, Teresa. I hope that you can keep thinking outside the box and sharing that with all of us quilters, because it's just, it's mind opening and eye opening. Really appreciate it. Well, you're quite welcome. I'm sorry. I missed your lecture and I've really enjoyed learning more about this. Well, thank you so much. It's been a joy to be with you. Oh, Susan, as usual, that was a great conversation. I truly wish you could have been sitting next to me at the lecture hall at QuiltCon and heard her lecture. It was great. Well, as I understand it, she may be doing it again online through Visions Art Museum. So if we can get the link for that or a link to where you can get more information, we can put it on the show notes. And then our viewers can also catch it because it did sound extraordinary. Yes, it really, really was. That's a great idea. I'll do that, definitely. And um, she also, of course, uh, Teresa also gives great lectures, and she's online, so all of her contact information will also be on the show notes. Well, she's kind of inspired me to think about making something that is of the same era as my house. I have one display space that I've not put a quilt up yet, and our house is 1970, so it's a little bit post mid-century modern, but maybe I can find someone from that era and create an art quilt in the same, the same look for that space. That would be a really fun thing to do. Great. And there's so much good inspiration out there. There's so much good inspiration. Susan, do you have a quote for us? I do. It's the one we had talked about before. Um, Everything old is new again. And that quote is actually, they don't really know who said it. It could be an old proverb. Uh, It's also cited as being a quote of Mark Twain or of Winston Churchill. So who knows? But everything old is new again. Sometimes quotes are just so, I don't know, absorbed into our culture that it doesn't even matter who said them because they're just so darn true. Yes. Absolutely. So thank you again, Susan. This was a great great afternoon of chatting and learning more about art, learning more about quilts, and also talking about the compassion of the quilting community. Always good to talk to you. And you too. Next time. Take care.